ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at vab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we're looking at chapter 4 of Hebrews, which covers that Jesus is better than Joshua, and he brings a Sabbath rest to those who have faith. Now, to make sense of this chapter, we need to review a little bit of the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Chapter 2 of Genesis starts, thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their host. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Then the rest of chapter 2 gives more details of how God created Adam and Eve, and the last verse of chapter 2 reads, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Chapter 3 of Genesis talks of how Adam and Eve sinned, and in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, God is speaking to the serpent who deceived Eve and said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is the first verse that gives the promise of Jesus, the Messiah, who will overcome the serpent. Herschel Hobbes said, Immediately upon the finish of his work in creation, God began his work of redemption. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. From that point on, all people were born with a sinful nature, except for Jesus, who was born of woman and of God. In chapter 6 through 9 of Genesis is the story of Noah and the flood, and Noah's sons were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham and his descendants migrated to Egypt or Cush area. Japheth went to the area of Europe and Shem was in the area of Canaan or Mesopotamia and Arabian deserts. We get the word Semitic from the name of Shem and it was from this line that Abraham was born. In Genesis 12, God promised Abram, later known as Abraham, go forth from your country to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In chapter 14 of Genesis, we meet Melchizedek, who comes up in chapters 5 through 7 of Hebrews. Then in chapter 15 of Genesis, God again promised to Abraham in verses 5 and 6, And he, God, took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. The line of the promise was Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, who was renamed Israel, and one of Jacob's twelve sons was Joseph, who was sold into slavery to Egypt. God placed him there to prepare for a famine that was coming. 
Jacob's family came to Egypt for food and the family stayed for years until a pharaoh did not remember the blessings of Joseph. So he enslaved the Israelites. Then we have Moses, whom God used to set them free, which is the book of Exodus. They headed to the promised land and through this journey, the tabernacle was built and the laws were given by God. Now in the book of Numbers, chapters 10 through 14, we learn that the Israelites are approaching the promised land for the first time. Moses sent a leader from each of the 12 tribes to check out the land. They came back and reported that the land was beautiful and the food was great, but there were giants in the land. Ten of the men said they could not take the land, but Joshua and Caleb said they could because God said they could. The people rebelled, and the short story is that they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation died off. Moses also was not allowed to enter the promised land, but Joshua and Caleb were the only two from the first generation that entered. It is this Joshua that chapter 4 of Hebrews mentions. So far in Hebrews, the writer said that Jesus was better than the prophets because the prophets foretold the future, but Jesus fulfilled the future. Then the rest of chapter 1 and then chapter 2 covered that Jesus was better than angels because angels are servants, but Jesus is the Son of God. Chapter 3, we learned that Jesus was better than Moses because Moses tended the house or the tabernacle, but Jesus built the tabernacle. Chapter 3 covered the part of the story of how the Israelites were not allowed to enter the promised land because of their unbelief, so they were not able to enter God's rest. Now, chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, while the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear so that none of you should miss it. C.A. Trentum said, There are more references to the promises of God in Hebrews than in any other book of the New Testament. Chapter 3 ended with a warning and chapter 4 starts with a warning that we need to be diligent with our faith. In verses 2 through 7, the writer explained that the Israelites did not receive the promised rest because of their unbelief. He also brought up Genesis and how God created rest. Trentum also said, when God made the world, he made provision for spiritual rest. His rest from all his works on the seventh day is the symbol of the truth that he made a world in which rest is provided. Yet, ladies, there is hope that some people can enter into his rest, and that is through faith in Jesus. The writer again emphasized that we have today, which is a certain day. Today, do not harden your hearts. Verses 8 and 9 read, For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken later about another day. A Sabbath rest remains, therefore, for God's people. One thing to keep in mind is that the name of Joshua and Jesus are from the same Hebrew form and they both mean the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. Now, one thing my Old Testament professor, Dr. Betts, stressed in class was that once Joshua and the Israelites entered the promised land, 
they still had the responsibility to take the land. They had to fight for it and obey the Lord. One thing that I find very interesting, especially in light of the war on Israel this month, the Israelites never occupied the Gaza Strip area. During Joshua's time, it was the land of the Philistines. Same with their first king, King Saul. King David and Solomon took some of the nearby land, but never the Gaza Strip. It was then called Philistia, descendants of the Philistines. Now, the Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, and then the Greeks conquered it. During the Maccabean Revolt, according to my Bible atlas, the Jews took Gaza, but the northern part they did not take. Their lack of obedience way back in Joshua's time is still causing unrest in that region to this day. Yet, even during war, there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. But just like in the Old Testament, we have the responsibility of seizing it. Here the writer speaks of a Sabbath rest. Herschel H. Hobbes said in his commentary, This means not the absence of activity, but that harmony of soul within which produces loyalty of character and conduct. And just as God ceased working after creation, so also when we enter into spiritual rest, we cease from our striving because as our attitude is one of confidence in God, we are in harmony with his will. Verse 11 says, Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. How can we do that? The writer then tells us that it is through the word of God. He describes it as living, effective, sharper than a two-edged sword, which could either mean an actual sword or a scalpel. It penetrates, and as George H. Guthrie said, we might say that God's word gets to the heart of any matter. The writer reminds us that God sees all things, and we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. If you remember in Genesis, before Adam and Eve sinned, they were naked and unashamed. But as soon as they sinned, they noticed that they were naked and they hid. Genesis chapter 3 verse 7. Since we are exposed before God, and since we must give an account to God for our lives, verses 14 through 17 read, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Without Christ, we are like Adam and Eve, exposed and shamed. But the promise came in Jesus that God told the serpent would crush him, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. 
Jesus who passed through the heavens first to be born and then passed through the heavens and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. This Jesus is our great high priest, the mediator between God and humanity. So believers, let us hold on to that confession, that statement of faith in Jesus. As Jim Townsend said in Hebrews, Pilgrim's Progress or Regress. He is the understander. He is the empathizer. Then if you notice, with Jesus in our lives, we approach the throne of grace, not the throne of judgment, because Christ bore God's wrath when he died on the cross. And ladies, we can approach the throne of God's grace with boldness, not timidity. How can we do that? Because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Then when we do that, when we approach this throne of grace, we find mercy when someone deserves punishment but does not receive it. And we find grace, unmerited favor, to help us at the proper time or in our time of need. George H. Guthrie said, In Hellenistic Judaism and early Christianity, the concept of drawing near to God with confidence refers especially to approaching God in prayer. To end, we have Charles A. Trentham's comment. Note the progression in this passage, the terrifying picture of God's all-seeing eye, then the tender compassion of one who is our maker, who also has walked our difficult road. Finally, we are called to concentrate on our only hope, the throne of grace. In my Old Testament class, our grader taught a lesson on the connection between nakedness and shame in the Bible. He ended it with a discussion on when we are in Christ, will we be naked and unashamed like Adam and Eve were in the garden before sin, or will we be clothed and unashamed? I hold to the view that we will be clothed in white because of the blood of the Lamb, but either way, In Christ, we are not ashamed. We are forgiven and loved. And that is why we can boldly enter the throne room of grace. So ladies today, if you hear his voice, what is he saying? Let's not harden our hearts in unbelief. Instead, let us enter God's Sabbath rest in faith and in prayer. Until next time, and thank you so very much for listening.